Here's a story I thought might uh, get us started this morning. A preacher was getting near the end of his sermon, and with a growing crescendo, he moved toward the finale of his sermon, and he said, this church, like a lame man, has got to get up and walk. And the congregation responded, that's right, preacher, let it walk. He said, this church, like Elijah on Mount Carmel, has got to run. That's right, preacher, let it run. This church has got to get up with wings like eagles and fly. Let it fly, preacher, let it fly. And then he added, now if this church is going to fly, it's going to take money. Let it walk, preacher, let it walk. <laughs> this morning, I'm going to talk about the, the discipline of tithing. Or in the South, you could say tithing. If you're in here this morning for the very first time, you need to know that the last time I talked about money was 11 years ago. Yeah, so you, you, in fact, you could call this an encore sermon of sorts because I'm going to tell you some of the same things that I presented uh, back then. I believe we should talk about money more openly and probably more often. Not so Southside will have a bigger bank account, but so that we as Christ followers will be aligned with the generous heart of Jesus. Money seems to be a sensitive subject for people to talk about at church. Uh, two of the most frequently mentioned topics by Jesus in the Gospels are, are hell, our judgment, and, and money. The two topics uh, we would most avoid talking about. In many ways, life is easier if you have money, and in many ways, life is harder if you have money. Having money is a problem because of this truth. The more you spend, the more you spend. Money can cause people to do some crazy things. Money can tear families apart uh, when it comes to inheritance. Money can cause you to lie awake at night worrying about hanging on to what you have. Money can lead to the destruction of integrity in an attempt to get more of it. And money can give people the opportunity to do some incredibly beautiful things. We've been able to do some beautiful things in the past several months around here with money you've given to this church family. You've helped to provide a healthy community for college students to mature in their relationship with Jesus, uh, to make friends with other believers, to go on a few trips where faith is challenged and, uh, and informed. You provided space and experience for our middle and high school students, a place where they could enjoy some normalcy in a crazy school year, a place to hang out with friends, opportunities to become more familiar with the values of God's kingdom. You've helped create opportunities for the youngest in our church family to begin tuning in their hearts to Jesus, tuning in their hearts to the truth about God as creator and Jesus as Lord. And you've also helped make it possible to welcome and support a full-time dedicated minister for these young believers. We're so glad to have Aaron uh, on our ministry staff. Here's some other things that have happened this past year. This year, we, we cleaned out the remaining balance in that Comer fund that we kind of was given a couple of years ago. We took that money and some money left in caring and sharing and also local outreach, and we sent that money to Western Kentucky to help with tornado relief, and we also sent some of that money to Cebu, Philippines to help out with the typhoon that hit there. We were able to send money from missions account to help Milton Munoz with the cost of his heart surgery. Uh, we co-sponsored a habitat build with a few other churches for a beautiful family whose names I can't really pronounce. It's Baez and Elizabeth and their children. Through our food pantry, we were able to supply food regularly, regularly to about 10 families uh, throughout the year and another 15 or so people who come by 
who came by more, more randomly. Uh, Pam Allen, if you guys don't know Pam, she's our receptionist upstairs. She does such a beautiful job of welcoming these people when they come and knock on our door. We didn't get to do much in the area of traveling to work with our missionaries, but we do have uh, 33 students and adults planning to go to Croatia this summer. Speaking of Croatia, uh, I know that you, some of you want to give some money to help with a refugee situation as people uh, leave Ukraine and go to Croatia or Moldova, two places we have connections. Uh, if you want to use Southside as a clearinghouse to send some funds, then that way just hand me a check or Dale, um, and we'll make sure that we, we get that to both or one, of, one or two of those places, wherever you'd like us to send it. Or you can do it on your own, too. If you look at the email, there's some push-pay links that you can make that happen. Weekly, uh, our gathering place hosts an AA group. It's been going on for years. Uh, frequently, now on weekends, we have an ACT prep class that happens. Uh, Katie Johnson helps make that happen. And we just started opening our building to a group of Chinese college students on Friday nights that meet here. And our parking lot is full of cars every day. Uh, and we've gotten to meet all of those people because they pay us $20 a year, big price, to park back there. Uh, that's better than the $50 a day that UK charges or whatever it might be. So we had a lot going on during a pandemic. And I'd, li- I'd like to share with you a few of our financial highlights. We are obligated to host an open business meeting annually to satisfy the requirements of the state. And so this is what we're doing for a few minutes this morning. Here's a graph that you might find interesting uh, and encouraging. It tells you that uh, in 2021, we collected in donations $910,000. That may be the most we've ever collected, I I believe. If not, it's it's right up there. Our budget for 2021 was $877,000. And our expenses for the year were 820000 Our leadership team has set a budget for 2022 at 924000 so close to what we gave last year. We have about a million dollars in our operating and restricted accounts, uh, and that's there uh, because it's a little more than a year's worth of expenses. In our, in our world, you never know what happens, what's going to happen. And, um, so it's nice to have a little cushion um, in case the worst, worst things occur. Here's the ministry budget for 2022. Um, it's, it's on a yellow sheet. You can see it up there. These are at the doors. If you would like to pick one up, uh, you can see the details of that. If you have any questions about any of this, um, please don't be shy. You can ask any of the shepherds. You can ask me, and we will be glad to talk about any of this with you at whatever level uh, of depth you'd like to go into it. But we're in a very healthy financial situation right now. I continue to be amazed at the generosity of this church family. We, we are way outside the norm. And I believe the health of our giving is a function of the spiritual health of Southside. This church family is truly special. All of us on staff are certainly privileged to be part of what goes on here. And we're also privileged to contribute our small piece of becoming who we are as a family. So since we're talking a little bit about money, I thought I'd offer a Bible study uh, on tithing this morning. So think about this question. If, if I gave you $100 right now, uh, what would you do with it this week? Or maybe 1000 What would you do with 1000 bucks? Or what would you do if you were handed $100,000 this week? How would you deal with that? The reality is that we 
all get caught up in the trap of thinking that somehow, for some reason, we need more money. If you and I are like the average American, what we need is 20% more than what we currently have. We believe if we just had 20% more, life would be easier. We'd be happier. We'd be able to do the things we want to do because we're convinced that money can solve most issues in our lives. I read an article a few years back written by Steve Wilson about a Kuwaiti businessman who had a pretty lavish lifestyle. This businessman was talking about his homes and his cars and how he lived and how he chose to spend his dollars, and he reported this about the man. He owns a lavishly outfitted 747 complete with a prayer room that gyroscopically rotates to face Mecca at all times. Because the man suffers from a weak heart, the top tech has been turned into an intensive care unit with a state-of-the-art cardiac technology. But the plane's most stunning feature is a human feature. On board at all times is a living heart donor, a poor man with a perfect tissue match. Should a transplant be needed, the man will give his heart and his life. In return, the donor's family will be handsomely rewarded. That's amazing. I mean, we live in a time when money can buy pretty much anything that we want. Do you know what God says the number one thing to do with your money is? Give it away. Richard Foster, in his book, Money, Sex, and Power, writes that Jesus spoke about money more than any other subject except the kingdom of God. In the story of the widow's might, we see Jesus intentionally sit right in front of the treasury, and he watched people put in their offering. For Jesus, giving was not a private matter. And where he comes down at the end of the day, in the, at the end of the day in his money talks is three simple words. Give it away. There's a lot of talk about giving money away in our Bibles, and it all begins with the principle of tithing. Although Christian giving goes far beyond tithing, the principle of tithing is an ancient discipline for those who grew up in Jewish homes. Leviticus 27 says, The tithe belongs to the Lord. It's holy. It's set apart. It's not for any other use. The word tithe literally means a tenth part, 10%. To talk about tithing means to give 10%. You can donate 2%. You can donate 6%. But that's not tithing. The Israelites were warned in Malachi 3 that to give God less than the full 10% was to rob God. God told them to bring the whole tithe. That 10% belonged to him. Israel turned away from God, and he, he takes them to task. They're disobedient. But what's interesting is the thing God focuses on in Malachi, it's not purity, it's not temple attendance, it's not idolatry, it's, it's tithing. You've been keeping for yourselves what you should have been handing over to me, God says. Bring the whole tithe. Now get this. For the Israelites, there wasn't just one tithe, but there were three. One tithe supported the priest and the Levites. That's in Numbers 18. Another tithe was for the sacred festival and the religious holidays. That's in Deuteronomy 12. And there was a third tithe that supported the widows and orphans. It was a tithe that was only asked for once every three years. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 14. Because Israel was a nation as well as a spiritual community, some of these funds would equate to taxes that we pay today. However, the first and most basic, basic tithe was for religious purposes, to support the work of the temple, along with the priests and the Levites. 
But even before the law of Moses, tithing was practiced. Abraham gave the high priest Melchizedek a tenth of everything that he had. You can find that in Genesis 14. Jacob promised to give God one-tenth of all he possessed when he returned home. Historians have found records which show that the Egyptians and the Chaldeans and the Assyrians, they all tithed to their gods. So three times a year, the Israelites were to bring an offering of their first fruits to the Lord. First fruits were the first production of grapes from the vineyard, the first production of grain, the olive oil, the sheared wool. The principle being honored is this. We give our first and our best to God because we recognize all good things come from him. The tithe was about the amount. First fruits, first fruits is about the nature, the quality, off the top. This practice was a constant reminder that, that God owns it all. Without his gifts in our lives, we have nothing. As soon as the harvest was realized, it was to be given to God, not stored away, not hoarded. And those who kept the best and gave God the leftovers brought judgment on Israel. The tithe was recognized as God's. It's not something you give. It's more like returning to him what was his to begin with. This is why in the Old Testament we hear words like bringing the tithe and taking the tithe and paying the tithe, not giving or donating them. If I borrow your saw and then give it back to you, I didn't give you a gift. <laughs> I, I gave you what was yours. And these payments were no more optional than paying taxes today. An Israelite brought tithes whether he wanted to or not. It was an obedience issue. In addition to tithes, we also read about free will offerings in the Old Testament. These were um, give-as-you'd-like opportunities. This is how the temple project was funded in Jerusalem in the book of Ezra. In Moses' day, people got excited about giving to build a temple, a tabernacle in the desert. In Exodus 36, you can read about this. Uh, here's in verse 4. I'll read this to you. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord God commanded to be done. There's no talk about percentages, no mention of obedience or duty. These people gave because they wanted to. They believed in a cause. The Old Testament uh, teaches giving. It's, it's not just about tithing. Free will offerings, unlike the tithe, were, were all about the heart. A heart that's responding to God's love by giving away more than what's required. This giving in Exodus 36 was contagious. It was exciting. The phrase that we read is, it was more than enough. Old Testament believers started with the tithe, but they didn't stop there. They gave even more. By human standards, this doesn't make any sense. But it's standard operating procedure in God's economy. No one ever had to ask what, how much, what to give. They knew 10% of everything off the top. It's right there in the law. People understood the tithe was the starting place. The tithe was a demonstration of obedience. Voluntary or free will offerings were a demonstration of love. Look at the rest of the story in Exodus 36. And remember, they had given more than enough. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word out throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because they had, what they had was more than enough to do all the work. I mean, these guys got carried away with their giving. They, they, they had to be restrained. It was like, don't give anymore. They got to hold you back, tie you down, you know, to keep you from doing that. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I mean, that's, that's an unbelievable 
environment to be in. These are the same folks, by the way, who griped every step of the way as they trudged through the, the desert. When the time came to build the permanent temple, the same kind of giving occurred. It was overwhelming. This is chronicled in First uh, Chronicles 29. Then the leaders, we read, gave willingly. They gave massive quantities of gold and silver and bronze and iron and precious stones. And then toward the end of that little paragraph, the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king rejoiced greatly. So David has... And this event has all of this stuff laying, seemed like laying out in front of him what all these people had brought. And he prays over this. And I want you to listen to his prayer. This is uh, verse 14 of 1 Chronicles 29. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we've been given uh, you only what comes from your heart or from your hand. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things have I given willingly willingly, and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. O Lord God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in their hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. At this moment in time, David's barometer for loyalty to God in this situation is connected to freely and generously giving to God. Obedient giving can easily transform into generosity that brings a lot of joy. Have any of you ever been out on a date because a friend fixed you up? You weren't really looking for a date, and you weren't really very excited about this date, but you went to honor your friend. Maybe some of you have done that. The next question is this. Is anyone sitting next to that same person today? Either you married that person you went out with that you really didn't want to go out with, or you're still hanging out together you know, it's, it's not uncommon that what we do out of a sense of obligation turns into exactly what we want, a commitment, a lifestyle, and even the joy of our life. Israelites tithed because they were told to. They went above the tithe because they wanted to. Tithing is the starting place. It's where we learn to put God first. It's like a toddler's first baby steps. They aren't her best steps and they aren't her last steps, but it's a good start. Tithing gives perspective. It reminds us that all we have and all we are is God's. Parting with, parting with money is not an easy thing. It's not easy for us. It wasn't easy for the people in Moses' day, even though they were much poorer than us and worked much harder to make a living. Think of what you could do. I'm sure you've all thought about this. Think of what you could do with this 10% that you give away. If you make $60,000 a year, if your household does, uh, 10% is $500 a month, $6,000 a year. If your household makes $120,000 a year, that's $1,000 a month is a tithe, $12,000 a year. And that, that's a lot of money. That might translate into some really attractive granite countertops or maybe a day of drinks and a hot dog at Disney for the family <laughs> where magical things happen, <laughs> like going home broke. The tithe was a divine invitation to, des- to test God's promise to provide. I want to I move into some, just some practical comments uh, about this spiritual discipline for a few moments. Uh, here's a few facts about us Christians in America and our giving patterns. From research just a few years ago, um, 5% of Christians gave 10% or more of their gross income. So 5% tithe. 
80% gave 2%. Research shows that the more money a person makes, the less likely that person is to tithe. In fact, the more you make, the less you give proportionally. I have some mixed feelings about tithing and talking about this, mostly because I want to avoid legalism. I want to avoid laying out the minimum percentage that God expects. Yet on the other hand, I know that we don't hesitate at all about laying out boundaries for purity, defining what gossip is or calling people to regular Bible study or prayer and kind of having some accountability about that. So I wonder, has, has Satan done a number on us? Has he suddenly made money an out-of-bounds topic of discussion? And what advantage might he gain if that's what's going on? I haven't heard much about tithing in my church experience. It seems like one of the reasons I picked up on it, that it has to do with this legalism idea. And Jesus certainly seems to target legalists with some very sharp arrows. Legalism is a problem because a legalist believes that doing a particular act, like tithing, or believing a particular doctrine, doctrine will secure their salvation. The act or belief is more important than a life lived by faith in Jesus. A legalist says the law is God. Legalism nullifies the cross because the cross says to us that we won't ever keep the rules accurately nor consistently enough to satisfy the standard. A legalist says you will please God if you think and do like I do. Jesus had very little tolerance for people who trumpeted their own goodness or generosity or rule-keeping as the preeminent way to God. Another resistance to tithing I've heard over the years has to do with uh, not being under law. The Old Testament law was done away with through the cross and resurrection. And it's true that New Testament Christians aren't commanded to keep all the sacrificial regulations nor all of the pages and pages of Sabbath restrictions. However, the principle of a weekly day of rest and worship is carried into the New Testament. In Hebrews, God spells out the doom of the sacrificial system, but he doesn't ever make a statement about nixing tithing. And he easily could have. You might say the New Testament advocates voluntary giving, and that's certainly true, but so did the Old Testament. That's what free will offerings were all about. So this isn't a matter of either tithing or voluntary giving. We, we can do both. Being under grace does not mean living by a lower standard than the law. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, the bar was raised, wasn't it? The standard was set very high. Feeling rage towards someone is as bad as murder. Having lustful thoughts is as bad as adultery. The law was easier. Jesus made it tougher on us. And if you apply this to giving, it seems like 10% would be a starting place if we're looking for some direction. Maybe we've misunderstood a few texts, like 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Paul says that each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You remember that verse, don't you? Two things about that verse. Paul doesn't say, if you aren't cheerful about giving, then don't give. And this is in the context of a specific collection that was taken for a group of Christians in Jerusalem who were having trouble getting by. This money was money they had given beyond the needs of their local situation. Paul didn't write this as a loophole. He's telling us the story of a few people who caught a vision of a need and gave beyond what they were expected, even what they planned to do. Can tithing be legalistic? Absolutely. Just like Bible reading, evangelism, baptism, church attendance. I've said many times 
Good things happen when you what? When you go to church. Do you believe that? Good things happen when you go to church. That's true when you want to be here, when you come joyfully. And it's true when you don't want to be here. Have you ever come to church on a Sunday when you'd rather stayed home? Like when the time changes. It's kind of early. Yet good things happen once you get here. Very rarely will someone say, I wish I had slept in more often. Going to church was a waste of my time. Nobody says on their deathbed, I wish I had gone to church less often than I did. Just like no one says, I wish I had spent more money on myself. Also, do you seldom hear someone say, I wish I had given less money away. We can turn every spiritual discipline into something legalistic. But that doesn't make the discipline worthless. Here's what Jesus said about tithing to a bunch of legalists who viewed the law as God. Verse 23, uh, Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now, don't miss this. What is the former? The former is tithing. Jesus says, don't neglect the tithe. Yeah, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, they're preeminent, but don't neglect the tithe. Here's a good illustration. I picked up from Randy Alcorn's book, uh, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. If you want to read a really thick book on this stuff, that's a good one. Today, we have a mandatory seatbelt law. When I was a kid, there was no seatbelt law. Uh, not at all. I can remember as a kid sitting in the floorboard of the back seat, playing with a Hot Wheel on the seat, you know, facing kind of the back of the car. Uh, just driving down the road. I can remember on our bench seat, it had a fold-down uh, armrest. I would just sit there like I was the king of the car with no seatbelt on. Some of you may have laid in the back window or sprawled out in the back of the station wagon. What were our parents thinking? Did they not love us? Let's suppose the seatbelt law was repealed tomorrow. Will we tell our children, take off the seatbelts? We're not under law anymore. We're not going to be legalistic. No more seatbelts for the Wootens. I mean, a good idea is a good idea, whether it's a law or not. Dave Ramsey has a good line about tithing. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Tithing was created for us. It is to teach us how to keep God first in our lives and to be unselfish people. Unselfish people make better husbands and wives and friends and relatives and employees and employers. God is trying to teach us how to prosper over time. Okay, in Tony Neely's words, I'm going to meddle here for a minute. I'm going to quit preaching and go to meddling. I think I've heard you say that before. My suspicion is that we don't talk about tithing because it turns people off. It runs them off. It's not a popular message. We don't want people messing with our money. We're open to accountability in many areas of our lives, but we're not very open at all to being accountable to someone else when it comes to money management. Not how to spend it, not how to save it, not how to give it away. We don't want people to know what our income is, what our house payment might be. That information is off limits, and especially, definitely, what we give to church is off limits. My money is my business. It's not yours. You know, I've heard the question asked, are we to tithe on the gross or the net, you know, before taxes or after? And there, there are two different angles on this question. One is to try to find out how little I have to give to satisfy the minimum requirement. The, yeah. The other is to see 
how much I get to give away to God. Which angle do you think is more often intended? Do you know people who just love to give? Not just their money, but they just love to give. They just love to give. I know a guy who not only ties on his gross salary, but he also ties on the benefits from his employer. The health insurance, the life insurance premium, the matching pension contribution, all of it. He's just looking for a reason to give. I know another guy who ties on his income and then also gives away the money he recovers through the benefit of his tax deduction based on his charitable contributions. So if he reduced his tax liability by 3000 through deductions, he gives the 3000 away. That's a guy who just loves to give. We had some friends in Florida. I've mentioned this story before. It always blows me away to think about it. They were pretty wealthy. And Mary and I would have uh, donuts with him every Saturday morning. He was one of the elders of the church that we worked with there. One day, he invited me to lunch, which was pretty unusual. He's a pretty busy guy. We didn't usually have lunch together. So I thought, something's up. And so we went to lunch, and uh, he very humbly said, uh, Kevin, I need you to pray for me. I just committed to donate $3.5 million to Harding University, and I don't know where it's going to come from. I mean, that, that's crazy. I was making like 20000 bucks a year. $3.5 million is beyond my comprehension. So I helped out. I bought his lunch that day, <laughs> and, I, and I prayed for him. <laughs> And if you go to Harding's campus, you'll see a library named after his mom, the Brackett Library. He pulled it off somehow. I want to be a person who looks for ways to give money away. Instead of asking the question, how much do I have to give to God? I'd like to grow into this question. How little of God's money do I need to keep? It's all his anyway, isn't it? My guess is if I can't live on 90%, of my income, I probably can't live on 100% either. But what's true is that people on average are living on 112% of their income, going into debt a little more each year. It's not hard to find ways to spend money. Remember, the more you spend, the more you spend. Seems like we can always find a way to pay monthly for cell phones or internet service or streaming or whatever. We find money for those every month because we'll fund what is important to us. On November 19th, 1854, Sam Houston was baptized in Independence, Texas. And the story goes that as the preacher pulled him out of the water, the preacher said, your sins have been washed away. And Sam Houston said, God help the fish. (laughs) And within a short time, Houston asked to pay half the minister's salary. And he explained, my pocketbook was baptized too. He understood God owned all of him. And to give his money away to the church would help him remember that. Let's finish up where we started in Malachi 3, verse 10. Here's, I didn't read it at the beginning, but let's look at it here. Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? And God says, in tithes and offerings, you, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Israel's economy was depressed. They were impoverished. They kept more, but had less. If they tithe, God promised to run the pest out of the land, and he promised to give them so much blessing that they wouldn't have room for all of it. So if they don't have room for it, what will they do? Give it away. That's why the nations will call them blessed. Nations don't call you blessed because of what you keep, but because of what you give. 
I may be, I believe this may be one of the very few places in the Bible where God tells his people to test him. He says, test me by giving me the whole tithe. Try me out and see what happens. Is God big enough to show you how to live on less? Is he wise and resourceful and gracious enough to make that work? Let me give you a simple plan that works. It's, I mean, this is like kindergarten level. This simple plan will help break the chains of bondage money can have on us. It's real simple. Give 10%, save 10%, live on the rest. Whether you're in middle school and you make $100 a year or whether you're a big boy now and make 100000 the average American lives on 112% of their income. You can't get by with that for very long. Give 10, save 10, live on the rest. Here's the invitation this morning. Discover what God can do with your life, not just your money, but with your heart. That story in the Arizona Republic seemed pretty odd to me, that someone be willing to give up their heart for a certain amount of money is just not right. God has a better deal. He'll give you a new heart for free. Jesus gave his life so that you and I can have that opportunity. All you have to do is trust him with all you have and all you are. And I guarantee you, your view of money will change. Let's stand together and sing.